Okay. So, Father, thank you that um, thank you for conversation. Thank you for for fellowship. Thank you for just thank you, Lord, that you've connected us one to another. Thank you that uh, we're a bit of a motley crew, but um, <laughs> but we belong to you, and you belong to us, Lord, and that's amazing. You are. Yes, it's just amazing, Lord. So help us to understand. Help us as we go through. Help me to explain, Lord, what I know to be true. Help me to put it into words that we can all understand, that I can understand too, Lord. Help me to do that and help us all to understand so that we can uh, know how to fight. Know what this joy is and know how to fight for it. And we thank you, Lord, that you will enable us to understand. For you say that if we lack wisdom, we just have to ask you and you will give it. And you're no respecter of persons. You give to everyone who asks. So I ask for wisdom, Lord. We ask for wisdom. And we ask that you would do that for us in this next session, that we would understand more about this joy that is our strength. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay. Um, so can, can we just go to Second Corinthians? I talked about it in, in the first sen- session. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, verse 17, because, you know, one of the things I said in the beginning was that Satan will be at work um, trying to get us to not understand, to disbelieve, to distract us, to do all sorts of things so that we don't uh, know certain things and then when we know them so that we don't believe them or we don't trust them or we don't live actually in the light of them and one of the things that you know these verses you know them really well but I think that we rush through them so often there's so many you know we all know the same scriptures don't we I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me you know that don't you and um Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We all know that. And we repeat them, we recite them sometimes, and they just go like through, and it's like, what, you know, we don't even really know what, we haven't pulled them apart. We don't know what they mean. And that's what I thought with um, 2 Corinthians 5:17. I quoted it earlier, um, and uh, I want to do it again, actually. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, (laughs) I'd like to spend the whole day, we can't, but I'd like to spend the whole day breaking down those verses because what God says is the moment you believed in Jesus, you became a new, well, he gave you his spirit and you became a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. And the way that happened was that Christ became sin. He became sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I just want you to, uh, I mean, you don't have to do it. I know probably you'll think that's silly. If I was sitting where you're sitting, I'd be thinking, well, she said, I want you to write this down. I'm not writing it down because <laughs> I'm bullshit and I never do what I'm told. <laughs> yes, it is, it is. So write this down. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is the truth about you. You stand in exactly the right place before God. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that you always do the right thing, because you don't. You're still in this flesh and you're still fighting a battle with yourself. And you're going to fight that battle till the day you go to be with him. But in terms of position, you stand in exactly the right place with God. You can't do anything to get into a better place. 
you are in the place where Christ is. Where is Christ? He is standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And Ephesians 2 says he is far above all rule and authority and all power and every name that is named in this age and the age to come. You are in Christ Jesus and he is at the right hand of God. Positionally, that's where you are and you will never move from that place in position. You have to fight to believe that because your human eyes tell you something different every day. Because you know what you're like and you know you don't always think the right thing and feel the right thing and do the right thing. So you have to, there's this battle that will always go on between what's true of you positionally and the way that you see yourself going forward. And Satan cannot attack where you are positionally. He cannot touch you where you are because you are above Satan. You are above him. He is already defeated. You are in Christ and he is below your feet. So you, he can never move you from that place, but he can constantly get at your mind whilst you're here and say, really? I mean, look at what you said yesterday and look at what you did today and look at how you felt and look at this and look at that and look at the other thing. And you can be besieged by this enemy who will try to do you in. It does wear you down. So there are certain things that we have to keep telling ourselves about ourselves, and that is the part of the fight. You must tell yourself the truth and you must never listen to yourself. Do you see what I mean? We do way too much listening to ourselves. We need to be telling ourselves the truth all the time. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. I am glorious in the beloved. I am glorious now and I am being made more glorious. And one day I will be more glorious than you can even imagine. I will be stunningly glorious. This is the truth. And we have to keep reminding ourselves, not because that's not positive thinking, that's not, you know, build yourself up on nothing, that's taking the truth of Scripture, taking the truth of God and applying it to yourself in times when you, when everything else is telling you something else. That's what belief is, that's what faith is, that's what fighting for faith is. You remember when Paul says, fight the good fight of faith? Fight this, you have to fight. You have to fight for joy. You have to fight for peace. You have to fight for faith. You have to fight, and the way you fight is the way Jesus fought. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4? He's just had the Holy Spirit descend on him. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness. And when he's there, Satan comes at him with temptation. Temptation to do it quickly. Temptation to, to, to just bypass the way of God. And Jesus fights with what? The Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the Word of God and use it to fight. To fight the enemy. To fight yourself. To fight the old man that is constantly rearing his head. You must fight. And you must, we must, as Christians, stop thinking that we're supposed to feel joy every moment. You can't feel joy in the midst of terrible situations. You can't. You'd have to be nutca a nutcase to do that. You know what I mean. It's crazy. You'd have to be crazy. You get, just get a, a diagnosis that tells you that you know, you've got three months to live. You are not going to be dancing and singing out of that doctor's surgery. You're not. You're not going to feel wonderful. You make a decision to, to do something or give up something or go whatever. You are not going to feel wonderful. So just accept your feelings and no measure of the truth. The way you feel 
doesn't have any bearing on what the truth is about you. Because we can feel wonderful when actually everything's terrible. You know, you can be sinning your head off and feel wonderful. And the converse is true. You can be really in exactly the right place, but be hearing lies about yourself, and that will make you feel lousy. You cannot trust your feelings, so stop thinking about your feelings. You have to speak to your soul. I think, is it Psalm 37? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Yeah, 30, is it 37, Psalm 37? He says, uh, it's 37 and... Maybe it's not 37. No, it's not 37. 42, is it? Thank you. Yes, 42 and 43. The, the two psalms go together. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of my presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan. That's uh, uh, Psalm 42, verse 5. And, ver and Psalm 43. Uh, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? This is, like, this is um, the psalmist asking questions of himself, not telling himself things. He's saying, why are you in despair? You know God. Why are you in despair? And that's what he's doing. Why are you in despair? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I shall again praise him. That is a decision that he made. Why are you in despair? I'm feeling desperate. I'm feeling low. I'm feeling in despair. But why? Why? When I know the God of all the universe, when I know where I'm going, when I know who's, who I belong to, when I know who I am and who he is, and, and when I know that glory awaits, why am I in despair? And he tells himself, hope in God, wait on God, know who this God is. Um, so, don't rush through the verses that tell you the truth about yourself. They're dynamite. They're just dynamite. They are the power of God. Write them out, re read them over, write them again, break them up, write every single word out, look up the word in the Greek dictionary, find out what it means, find out about who you are in Christ, and then determine that you are going to live on the basis of that. So, how did Christ receive joy? That's what we want to know. How did Christ receive joy? Because it's his joy that he says will be in us and our joy made full. So, Hebrews chapter 12 probably a, one of the most definitive verses to tell us how Jesus or what, uh, what gave him joy or what he did because of joy. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus receive joy? How did he receive joy? Because he looked towards the glory of God. He looked, his focus was on his Father. That's how he received joy. John 12 John 12, 27 and 28. Now my soul, this is Jesus speaking, now my soul has become troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. How did Jesus receive joy? It's there, right there, right there. How did he receive joy? By glorifying his Father. By doing what he didn't want to do, actually. Because he knew that that was the purpose of God for his life. John 17, verse 5. The one before, John 12, 27 and 28. 
John 17:5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What was Jesus after? He was after God, glor- the glory of God being made manifest. He wanted to show the glory of God. John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, so that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. How is God glorified? How is the Father glorified? According to John 15, verse 8, by you bearing fruit. What's fruit? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. We always think he means loads of disciples. You know, (laughs) he just means loads of disciples. But he doesn't. He means that when you bear fruit, when you bear fruit for God, you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You are bearing the, the fruit of, of only, what only God can bring. He's talking about abide in me and I'll, and I'll abide in you. You can't do anything without me. What would happen when you're abiding in Christ and believing in who he is and trusting who he is? What will happen in your life? Hey, you'll glorify him, yeah, yeah. You'll have joy and peace, yeah, but I just don't want the right answers. I want you to really, th- I, I know you're thinking about it, Maria, sorry, not you. What, what will happen when you bear the fruit, or I, think, I don't know if it's one fruit or several fruits, so we'll just pretend it's several fruit at the moment. So when you bear the fruit called joy, what will happen actually? When you find joy in the truth of who Jesus is and who you are in him, and you start to to bear that fruit, what, what will actually happen? Free. Yes, you're set free. It'll overflow. You'll, look, you'll be joyful. You'll be joyful in, in what? What will you be joyful in? Say that, Linda. Sir. Every circumstance. So you're going to start to be joyful in every circumstance. Okay, so what's the person next to you going to think when you're joyful and you've actually heard bad news? They're going to say, how can she have joy? He, how can he have joy? And they'll be hanging around close to you because they won't understand it and they'll want to know, how, what is it going on? What is it about you? So when they're hanging around, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be talking to them about the Lord. Not necessarily you need this God. I mean, you so need this God because you are such a sinner. <laughs> You're going to be saying, I know this guy, he's just amazing. God is so amazing in my life. And, and you're going to be real with them. You're going to say, do you know what? I've just had this terrible news and I'm going through this terrible circumstance and I don't quite know how I feel joy, but I do. And that is because of Jesus. That is because he lives in me and I live in him. So tell me, what do you think the outcome of the joy will be that you feel? Other people will start to think about this God that you know and they'll start to think, actually, maybe I might like to know this God. I might like to know this God. What will happen then? I just, just, this is just like, just take the steps. What will happen then? Hey? Yeah, they might ask you and then you're going to flounder around for a while and tell, give them the gospel. But no, no, no. What will happen after that? Yes. Forget that, though. Forget that. What will happen? God will be rejoicing. Why? Come right back to the beginning. He's rejoicing because you are in a bad circumstance, but you have told yourself the truth about Jesus and the truth about where you're going and the truth about where you are, and you have decided to live in the truth of that and to fight to live in the truth of that. And the way you're fighting it is because you are reminding yourself every day, I am a child of God. This is true of me. I am headed for glory. Jesus is in me. He is glorious. I am glorious. God is rejoicing. He is rejoicing over me with shouts of joy. And every waking moment, you are filling your mind with that truth. And God is at the very same time shouting in the heavenly places. Look at her. Look at him. He is showing you off to the angels and, the, and, the, and Satan and his demons, just like he did with Job. You know, just when Job was, he, 
was hanging on to his faith all the way through his terrible circumstances, God's name is vindicated through Job, hanging on to his faith. You hanging on to your faith? God is rejoicing over you with shouts of joy. And angels are seeing the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says that the manifold wisdom of God, the various types of wisdom of God, is made evident in the heavenly places through the church, through you and through me, as we hang on to the truth about who God is. You see, the problem is, we want a complicated answer. How do I fight for joy? I mean, I, you know, I can give you a five-page essay. It's got 500 points, and you do them every day before you brush your teeth. And then you know how to do it. That's what we want. We want, we want to know. And, it, and it, the more complicated it is, the better we think it will be. But the thing is, it's not complicated. It's simple. It's this is the truth. This is who you are. This is where you're heading. Life may not always be good here, but it will be glorious there. Hang on to the truth about who you are. Fight for that truth because that will be the hardest thing to hang on to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the thing, the thing, the hard thing is, I think Jesus shows it to us. I think it's Luke 24. He goes off with his, he leaves the three disciples and he goes off and he says, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Three times he prays that prayer. And that's Jesus praying. That's him who knew no sin. I don't want to die this death. Take this from me. So I think we have to be absolutely clear from the outset that this is not a life that's always going to be great. This is not that life. It's not a life where everything's always going to go wonderfully well and smoothly and, and, you know, you wake up every morning and jump out of bed and it's all great. That's not this life. And anyone who says it is, is lying. Or dead. <laughs> or dead. That's not this life. This life is often very hard. And you know it's going to be hard because Jesus said, please, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die this way. I don't want to do this. But his answer at the end of that prayer was, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? How could he get to that place as a human being? He got there because he knew that his father was God and that God's purpose would be the best. Even though he couldn't see it with his human eyes. I mean, I know people in this room, I know they're coming through and have come through difficult, difficult times. I know that, you know, this is hard stuff. It's hard. This is not easy. Life is not easy. It's hard. That's why, as I said in the first session, we need each other and we need to tell ourselves the truth all the time. We have to remind ourselves of the truth and we have to keep on doing it because it's not easy. Why does God do what he does? Why does God do everything that he does? Yeah, so God wants to glorify himself. When I first heard that, I just that caused me so much bother. Why does God want to glorify himself? Isn't he glorious enough? That's a question. Isn't he glorious enough? Why does he do everything for his glory? Why does he want me to glorify him? Hasn't he got enough glory? Ah, oh, well, that's a question. Answer the question. <laughs> why? Yes. Yes. But why? Why? What? 
Yes. Yes. So what is it about his glory? What is it about his glory? Yes. It's redemptive. Yes, yes, yes. God's glory is the absolute best thing for you and for me. Why does he want? He doesn't need you to show his glory. His glory is being declared in the heavenly places. He doesn't need us to do anything. Therefore, if he wants us to live for his glory, it must be because living for his glory will produce in us the most amazing things. That it will be good for us. Do you see what I mean? Now, do you believe that? Because if you believe it, you will run out of this door and say to the Lord, I want to live for your glory all the time, all the time, all the time. What can I do? What can I do to live for your glory? Because I believe that living for your glory is the best thing for me. Do you see what I mean? It changes the way you think. If you really think that God's glory is the best for you, then whatever he brings into your life, whatever it is, you can say to him, I want your glory to be shown through me. I wish I could say it was only for you, Lord, but it isn't. I want your glory to be shown through me for me because I believe that you will give me joy through that glory being manifested. That's why Jesus did it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he believed that in a way he couldn't understand humanly that God was so intent on his purpose of glorifying himself that that glorifying of himself would result in joy for Jesus. Do you see what I mean? If you don't see what I mean, talk to me later. That's the, that is a fundamental understanding we have to get to. God's glory is the best thing for me. It's the best thing for me. When Jesus is asked by his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray, what's the first thing he says? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Made glorious, honoured, shown to be wonderful. Hallowed be your name. That's the first thing that Jesus said. When you come to God to pray, the first thing is to pray, may your name, your character, may you be seen to be glorious. Why? When he's already glorious. I've already answered it, so you can just repeat what we've said already. Because it changes us. How does it change you? Changes the way you think? Because in a way we probably will never understand, we receive joy and we are made glorious as we manifest his glory. Do you see what I mean? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul will write, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory as to the Lord. Now I used to quote that verse so many times being I'm being transformed from glory to glory. Wonderful isn't it? So wonderful. But that's not actually what the verse says. It says as I behold the glory of the Lord I am being transformed into that same glory, from glory to glory. What must I be doing always? I have to be beholding the glory of the Lord. Where do I see the glory of the Lord? How can I find the glory of the Lord? In the Word, in the Word, in the Word, in the Word. As I look at the Word, behold it, see it, understand it, believe it, trust it, I am being changed from glory to glory. Do you see what I mean? This is not just an old book. These are not just words on the page. This is dynamite. It's real. It's real. And it will change me from glory to glory as I look at the glory of God. And the glory of God is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Want to see the glory of Jesus? Open the book. Open the book. And when you read, believe what you're reading, and you will be transformed from glory to glory. Why does God do everything that he does for his glory? Why did he create you? Why did he redeem you? Why did he forgive you? Why will he take you to heaven? For his glory. It's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why will you have eternal life? For the glory of God. For his word to be seen, to be who he is, his character. I say this, it will be so. Whatever your life looks like, whatever the circumstances look like, whatever the world looks like, whether it looks like North Korea is going to drop an atom bomb, whether it looks like Russia is going to invade um, Israel, Turkey is going to come against, whatever it looks like, whatever's bad, whether it looks like our schools are going to pot and our government's got off, whatever, whatever this world looks like, God will have his way. He will have his way. It's God who restores kings, raises them up and deposes them. It's God who gives life. It's God who brings death. It's God who does all of that. And he will do it. Why? For the glory of his name. Now, you should be finding then, every time we're saying that, for his glory, for his glory, that should be causing a response in you. Not should be. Will be re causing a response in you. What's the response to all of that? So the fact that God is wants to glorify himself. Joy. Now, how can that be? Really, seriously, ask yourself the question. How can it be that you are finding joy in God glorifying himself. Yeah. Yes. Yes, our joy becomes full. Yeah, yeah. But what I, I suppose the answer I wanted, although Jenny's answer was good and Maria's answer was good, the answer I want is it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense that I should receive joy that God is glorified. <laughs> that makes no sense. Thank you. So, thank you, Jack. You always get there before I've got to that sentence. No, don't be sorry. That's it's so great. I no, <laughs> I love that because I, you know, if Jane says it, I know I'm on the right track. <laughs> so, <laughs> seriously. That's, it makes no human sense. So that is absolute cast iron evidence that you belong to God and that he lives within you and that his spirit is producing in you the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Because it makes no sense at all that you would receive joy, that you would be glad that God is being glorified in your terrible circumstance. That makes no human sense at all. Jesus says, when you abide in me, when you live in me, when you, when you uh, abide in my word, God is most glorified when, you, when your desire is for him. When your desire is for him, God is most glorified. So your fight for joy is not a secondary issue in your life of faith. It is an essential fight. Because your fight, even when you don't feel like you're winning, is evidence and is in a way glorifying to God. You have decided to fight even though it's hard, even though you're struggling to fight. You've decided to fight because that's what God says to do and that's what says glorifies him. So even when you're struggling to do it, God is being glorified. Yes, yes. No, it's in the doing, it's in the fighting, it's in the struggle. Mm.
Yeah. 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 You have to. You have to turn everything upside down. That's the thing. You have to. Because his perspective is so different to ours. We're down here looking up. He's up there looking down. It's completely the opposite. So the fight to f for joy is actually not just a fight for joy, i.e. fighting for your own happiness. It is a fight to find your joy in God. That's the thing. Because it's only when you find your f joy in God that you are receiving the joy of the Lord. That is the joy of the Lord, that he found his joy in glorifying his Father. So your fight is not to always be happy, no matter your circumstance. Your fight is to say, my joy is in God, is in him being glorified, is in, in the truth of who he is, in the truth of all that he's done. That's where I'm going to find my joy. And it's essential. You have to fight to find that. It won't just happen. It just won't happen. Um, and if you have to fight for it and if you have to do it, what do you think you would find in the scriptures? If it's an essential aspect of faith, if it's essential for us to do, what might you find in scriptures? And plenty of instructions. Who said instructions? Plenty of instructions. Okay, just think of all the instructions. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. How many times do you see that command? I'll give you some. Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you upright. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Rejoice where? In your circumstances? In your... No, rejoice in the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. Can you just flip to Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonment, in, in tumults, in labours, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonour, by evil repute and good repute, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Yet always rejoicing. Paul, of all people, understood that life was not always easy. Yet always rejoicing. And that's, I've got, a, this is what I want. I want people, suffering people, to be able to come to this place and know they will find real believers. They will find believers who have chosen to find their joy in the Lord Jesus who have chosen to honour him and make his name great, who have decided he's the best, he's everything, I am going to do everything. And I want people to be able to come here and, and find a place where there is this fellowship of the burning heart, these people who love God and who want to live their life for him. And I want people to be able to come who are just going through marriage problems or whose children are in trouble or have just died or or have just whatever it is I want people to be able to come to this place and say there are real <coughs> believers there are people who understand about suffering who understand what it is to live on this planet yet are rejoicing in the Lord yet are fighting for that joy fighting to find their joy in God I want that for this place you should want that you should want that. That should be something. That is your right as a believer. 
You have, God has promised, there is a fellowship like that that you can go to where, where people have decided the joy of the Lord is their strength. It's their fortress. It's their, uh, their safe place, their refuge. And they will fight for you when you can't fight for yourself. They will hold your arms up like Moses with Aaron and her. They will do that when you can't do that for yourself. When everything in your world looks dark, they will remind you of the truth of who Jesus is. That's what fellowship is. That's what we're supposed to be about. Tell me, tell me, who could resist that? Who could resist that? What people do you know that are unbelievers, that are in a terrible place, that wouldn't be affected? Okay, they may not come to the Lord because that's a mystery we can't understand. But that would not be affected, would not like to be with people who will give themselves to you when you need that. Who wouldn't want that? That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the church is. We're supposed to be able to go down with Paul like all of these things. Um, what is it, as, as unknown yet as sorrowful, yet, oh, I've lost myself, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labours, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness. We, we need to be people who really believe what we say we believe. And we haven't got any more time to be fiddling about do you know what I mean? I mean, we just can't be doing that anymore. We have to be people who are determined to live like this and to find their joy in the joy of the Lord, to find your own joy in what Jesus found his joy in, to find your joy in the fact that you belong to him and he belongs to you. What is that? Is that Isaiah 41 or Isaiah 42? Uh, what is it? Um, no, 43. Okay. But now, thus says the Lord, O Creator, your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. <laughs> Trelaine, I'm going to just point. She's just become just become a believer. So I'm sorry, Trelaine, I'm just going to, not, not too long ago, nothing's safe with me. Why don't you tell me something, <laughs> Trelaine? So she's just become a believer. This is God's word to her. I have redeemed you and called you by name. You are mine, God says. You are mine. You are mine. Can you imagine anything more wonderful than that? That God looks at you and says, I've called you by name and you're mine. <sighs> hmm. Isaiah 43, yeah. So, the fight for joy is a fight that you have to fight and it's a fight that Jesus fought and won for you. That's the thing. He fought that fight on the road to Calvary. Do you remember what you know? I've just said? Take this cup from me. Yet not, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He fought the fight for joy. So now you fight in the strength of his victory. And the way that you do that is you remind yourself of all the truth. I've said it so many times. I'm sure you're getting bored of the same thing. So um, how do I know that when I fight, I will be glorifying God? That's what we need to figure out. Well, you need to know. We need to be able to see that in Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Because you can't believe a word I say unless it is from the Scripture. Matthew 5, verse 16. How do we know that uh, my fight for joy, or for, to find my joy in God, actually glorifies him? Matthew 5, verse 16. 
Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, we'll go back a bit, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men so that they see your good works. So tell me, what does a light do It illuminates. Does it know it's illuminating? No. A light doesn't really know anything about itself, does it? It's just a light. Yeah? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Right? You are light in the Lord. So now you are what Jesus said. You are the light. Nobody takes a light and puts a cover on it. So... What do you have to do to be the light? Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to do anything. Why not? Because you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Jesus is in you and you are in him. You are light. You are light. Everywhere you go, darkness has to flee. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to not put a cover on it. <laughs> you are plugged in, John. You are. You are plugged in. You are. I want, is it, you know, I, sometimes I'm so, sorry, I make, I say, you know, funny things right in the middle of something really serious. You... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, You were formerly darkness. Before you knew the Lord Jesus, you were darkness. You added to the darkness. You were dark. But now that you know the Lord, you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. You don't have to pick up the light and take it out. You don't have to strike a match and set it up every time. Definitely, 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 Trelane. It's wonderful, isn't it? It is. It is. You are light. But where we're trying to go to with that is you don't do anything, actually. You just actually believe that you are the light. Because when you believe that you're the light and you're trusting in that, what happens? Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happens when you believe something that God says? God is glorified. So, he's just said to you, you were formerly darkness. You probably knew that very well. But now you are light in the Lord. You are light. When you believe that, God is glorified. Now, in the morning when you wake up and you just think, you know what, I've had it today with the Lord. I, I just don't want to talk to anybody about him, you know. I mean, it's just too hard. And I've got to go to work. And that person, you know, they're just always in my face about it and arguing and blah, 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 blah. And I can't really tell them about Jesus anymore. And, you know, I've just done it. So I'm not going to take you with me today, Lord. I'm leaving you at home. <laughs> my thumb going. Is that possible? No, it's not possible. So wherever you go, what's going to happen? Someone's going to get offended. Someone is going to get offended. You're going to say something or do something very innocuous and someone will be offended or will, won't like it or something will happen because you are light and darkness doesn't like light. So you just have to accept it now. So now knowing that that's going to happen, what will you do? <laughs> not worry about it. Bec but why will you not worry about it? Because we all want to be liked, don't we? Well, I mean, I like to be liked. So we all want to be. Because we know that you are representing Christ and he is being glorified. So whatever comes at you now doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it does on one level, but you know what I mean. It doesn't matter because you are glorifying God. The question is, will you believe it?
Yes. Not believing, I would say. Just saying, you know what, that might be true about Rosemary, but it's not true about me. Which is what we do a lot. That's why it's a fight, I think, Chris. So, the pursuit of joy... There's some points here for people who like points. And point number one. Um, the pursuit of joy is a fight for joy in God. Not any old type of joy. It is a fight to find or to a fight for joy in God. And it can't be founded on anything about your circumstances. Because that's not joy in God, that's joy in your circumstances. So it has to be a fight to find your joy in God or to experience the joy of Jesus, the joy of the Lord. That's the first point. Second point. God is glorified when you find your joy in him. He is glorified by that. He is not glorified by you simply knowing the truth about him. See, Satan knows the truth about God, but he doesn't find any joy in it. So you need to find joy in the truth about God. So getting ahead of what I suppose I'm saying, getting ahead full of knowledge won't do it. You have to find your joy in the knowledge about God. Now that's hard, isn't it? Because it's all very well to say one, you know, to to read something where it says um, uh, nothing is impossible for God. That's what you said, Maureen. And then th- live through months and months and months where everything's impossible. See what I mean? It's hard. So what must you do then when you've been praying for something for years and years and years and years and years and years and years and, years and it hasn't happened? And yet you know nothing's impossible for God. So what have you actually done, Maureen? What have you... You have believed that God's purpose is good and the best. Even though you can't see that in your walk. Right. That's what we have to do. We have to believe, trust, and keep going, even when he's not answering. You know, I, I listened to a really good song by, um, I think it's Mercy Me. You heard of them? Mercy Me? And it's called Even If the song and um, it's basically uh, I know you can do everything but even if you don't I'll still trust you it's a hard song actually makes me cry when I listen to it but it's but it's, it's this idea that believing in God is not based on whether he answers your prayer Believing in God, trusting God, finding your joy in him is not based on his answering everything the way you want it to be answered. It's not based on him giving you everything you think you should have. It's not based on anything of that. It's finding your joy in God is simply saying, whatever you have for me, I choose to rejoice in. Whatever that is. And make no mistake, that is very hard. That's hard. That's why it's a fight. Yes, he did. He did. Okay, point number three. You don't really understand your true condition before God until you measure how much joy you have in him. You don't really know your true condition before God until you measure it by how much joy you find in him. See, it's possible to go to church. It's possible to read the Bible. It's possible to pray. It's possible to do all of the things that Christians do and not find your joy in them. And God is not glorified by you doing all the right things. He's glorified by you finding your joy in the doing. Do you see what I mean? Or finding your joy in him. 
so you can do all the right things. I think I said that earlier, you know. We've all about a lot of teaching about living for Christ is all about do's and don'ts. Isn't it? You know, good Christians don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that, you know. Or we do do this. We go to church, we go to midweek Bible study, you know, we we're nice to people and kind to Mrs. Smith next door and that's what good Christians do. But that's not the way God is glorified. He's glorified when your joy is in him. Yes. No. No. Yeah. I suppose measure of joy also is like, you can find joy in the Lord even when everything's going wrong. But again, remember, joy is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. I mean, on some levels it is, of course, because you, you feel joy. But finding your joy in the Lord is different to, to having that joyful feeling. Um, what do you delight in? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, John. I don't <laughs> I'll have to think about that one. Um, what do you delight in? Ask yourself some questions. What do you find? What do you delight in? What is your default activity when there's no pressure on you? When nobody's in the room, what do you do? What do you think? What do you feel? Where, where does your mind go? And what is your heart instinctively drawn to? You know, they, they're really good questions. Because if I tell you, if, if, we, if we hear um, you've got to pursue God, you've got to run after joy in God, what we instinctively do is we read about him. We read about him. We talk about him. And we do some things for him. Can you see what's wrong with that? So what have you done, actually, Maureen, then? What's, what's happened? Well, what I would have said, Maureen, is that you've chosen to find your joy in him rather than circumstances, rather than... And he is now able to use or will use you far more because it's real now. It's not what you're doing. Yes. It's not what... <laughs> well, so... In order to fight for joy, what must you do then? Given those things, the, those, what did I say, three things? Did I say three? Okay. You've got four. Have you got four? Have you made one up? <laughs> Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. The third one is you don't really understand... Um, 
yeah, before God, until you measure how much joy you have in him. Because so much of our life is about what we do and what we don't do. And, and it, that even goes down. If I say to you, fight for joy in God, pursue God, you, you would just read some things about him. You would talk about him and you would um, do some things for him. But that's not it. You know, in Exodus, where is it? In Exodus 20, thou shalt not covet. What does covet mean? Desire for yourself. So you shall not desire for yourself. Why, why are you not to desire things for yourself? Yeah. But, but why? Well, let's go even, you know, yes, you're feeding your flesh. Yes, it's all of that. But the, the commandment is thou shalt not covet. You should not desire for yourself. Well, we're human beings. We have desires. So God gave us those desires. So what does it mean? You shall not covet desire for yourself. What, what is that? What, I, what is there in that that we're, you know, to, we want to go deeper than just because we should be desiring God because that's what he wants. He wants us to run after him, to find our joy in him, to, uh, yeah, to, to fight for, to find that, well, to find our joy in him. And what I'm saying is that has, you have to fight for that because it's not instinctive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Psalm 37. Oh. Yeah, maybe I was. What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, in order to fight for joy, you can't just go after knowledge about God. Do you know what I mean? You can't just read your Bible. Although that's wonderful, of course. That's where he is. He's, he's telling you about himself. You have to choose to find your joy in what you read. See what I mean? So, I, I, I want to... Um, yeah, I'll and talk about my niece, actually. Um, She's not really my niece. She's the daughter of a good friend of mine. I've known her since before she was born, so she's sort of my niece. She, I've told you about her before, I'm sure, but I'm going to tell you again because some people here won't have heard this. She uh, is a believer. Uh, she's beautiful. She is one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. And um, she loved a man, and he wasn't a believer, and he loved her, and proposed. And... She must have read or been told or whatever. You can't marry an unbeliever. So she prayed and she prayed and she prayed, Lord, change his heart, make him a believer. And he did an alpha course and he went here and he went there, but he didn't become a believer, but she loved him and he loved her. But she gave him up. She gave him up. She's only 32, 33 now, 34 maybe. And... Uh, she thought that she was giving him up, therefore God would make him a Christian and give him back. And God didn't. And then she thought, there must be somebody else then that I haven't quite met yet. But he's going to come soon because, I mean, I'm getting older all the time, Lord, and, you know, I want what normal people have. And she hasn't. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing the thing you know God wants you to do and choosing to find your joy in that. She has to fight for that joy all the time. She has to fight probably every day to find her joy in her following the Lord. To find her joy in the joy of Christ who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. She has to find her joy in the knowledge that God is glorified every day she wakes up and praises his name in the middle of her circumstance. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a choice against everything in you to find your joy 
in obeying and following God. Because you believe that that glorifies him. And I don't want to paint that out to be... um, She knows the joy of the Lord. She knows the joy of the Lord. And that joy is her safe place. And when she can't find her own, she finds her joy there. His joy. Father, um, help us to understand this, Lord. I mean, it's... In, in some ways, Father, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again because it's simple. It's simple. But Lord, I know that there are layers and layers and layers of this that I haven't even got to. And I just ask, Father, that you would help us to understand this. That this is a fight. That we have to fight for this joy. To find this joy in you, Lord. To know the joy of Jesus who for this joy set before him endured the cross. That we might fight to know that joy, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you are glorified as we fight. And I know you will be. And so I ask, Lord, I ask that for everyone in this room who is struggling with their own joy, that you would sweep in like a flood, Lord, and fill them with the joy of the Lord. And that they would know that they know that they know that they know that you are rejoicing over them with shouts of joy. And I ask, Lord, that you would be with us in all our conversations over lunch and uh, keep us awake when we come back, Father, to the final session. And uh, yeah, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.